Amen, church. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open with us to Luke chapter 2, the second gospel, uh, or rather the second chapter of the gospel of Luke, verses 8 through 20, we'll be looking at today. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through verse 20, if you don't have a copy of the Word of God when we get to the reading of it, and uh, it'll be on your screen. So Luke 2, verse 8 through 20, code words. You know, I'm reading more and more that more and more local, like police departments and fire departments, or um, there's this movement since really September the 11th, 2001, with the terrorist attack, when there was much confusion. These agencies were trying to communicate with one another in code, but one agency would have a different code word than the other agency, just mass confusion. And so since then, some of them have moved toward a more plain language rather than codes, like an officer might say, like Dallas I know was doing this years ago, and an officer in Dallas might say, I'm approaching a Code 7 on Highland Avenue now. He, he or she would just simply say, I'm approaching a minor accident on Highland Avenue. Just plain language to avoid confusion. And when we come to this time of year at Christmas time, there's some code words that we hear, right? There's some words like peace, light, hope, joy. And a lot of times we, we misunderstand what these words really mean from a biblical perspective. So over the next several weeks, this Christmas, we're going to uh, really decipher some of these code words. Today we're going to decipher code word joy. Somebody say joy. Yes, J-O-Y, joy. And in Luke 2, verse 8 through 20, joy jumps off the pages or the page of this of this text. So I want to I want to begin reading in verse 8. You follow along. We're going to read through verse 20 and then we'll unpack this text together. So if you're there, say I'm there. All right, church, let's look at it together. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, 
We thank you for your word, Holy Spirit. Help us. Talk to us in this text today. Let us respond to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Genuine joy is spiritual. It's not seasonal. Genuine joy is spiritual, not seasonal. It's, it's, it's unlike uh, Chick-fil-A's peppermint chip milkshake. It's not seasonal. It's spiritual. It's, it's not like everything pumpkin spice where it's just here for a minute and gone the next. No, it's, it's spiritual. It lasts. Genuine joy is spiritual, not seasonal. So I want to share with you three aspects of genuine joy that come right out of these verses. The first one we see in verses 8 through 12 and then verse 15 and 16. And the first one is this. Genuine joy is produced by God's word. You're not going to find genuine joy in this world. It doesn't exist as far as being produced by the world. You see it in the world in the hearts of believers because it was produced in the hearts of believers by the word. Genuine joy is produced by God's word. It's not produced by the world. It's produced by God's word. And we see that all through these first several verses in Luke 2, verse 8 through 12. So what is the difference between happiness and joy? What is the difference between pleasure and joy? What's the difference between happiness and joy? Well, happiness happens. But joy abides. Happiness is always tied to what happens, right? But joy, at least from a New Testament perspective, it is spiritual realities independent of what happens. Joy is not affected by what happens. Joy is not about what happens. It's about who abides in you. Joy is the deep down sense of well-being that a that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between them and the Lord. Okay, that's, that's genuine joy. Uh, g- g- happiness is, is, is all about what happens. Joy is all about who abides in you. Think of it like this. You and I both know this. If you go buy an appliance today in the year 2021, you know it's not going to last. I mean, you know that when you go buy it. You know, you know you're going to buy a warranty as soon as you buy it because it's not going to last. A refrigerator in 2021, it's not going to last. You know, and that's like happiness. It comes, it makes you happy for a time, then it's gone. Right? But genuine joy is like buying an appliance in the year 1980. It's like having a refrigerator from the year 1980. These things, they outlive you. They outlast you. They outlive your whole family. When we get to heaven, we're going to see that in heaven. It's eternal. And that's what joy is. Joy outlasts you. It outlives you. It's carried with you into glory. It it abides forever. There's nothing that is temporary about genuine joy. It is eternal in the hearts of believers and in the life of believers. Now, where does that come from? Well, Jesus tells us it comes from his word. In, in John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you. So what is he speaking to? He's speaking to us his word. And Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So God speaks to us these promises so that his joy will abide in us. 
And so God's word is what produces joy. We see it here in Luke 2, verses 8 through verse 12. Check this out. There are shepherds. You might think to yourself, well, pastor, for me to receive that kind of joy, that genuine, permanent, eternal joy, then I, then I, have, I know I have to understand all the ins and outs of the doctrines of the, of the text, right? I've got to be a theologian to be able to experience this joy. No, sir. No, ma'am. Wrong. The shepherds were not scholars. Amen? The shepherds were not scribes. The shepherds were not high priests. They weren't rabbis. They were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. In fact, they could not keep the ceremonial laws, these man-made pharisaical laws that the Pharisees, all these 600 plus laws, they could not keep them because they were busy keeping watch over their flock by night 24-7. So they were not highly esteemed. In Jesus' day, there's been other times in Jewish history when shepherds were esteemed, but not in Jesus' day because all these man-made rules and laws that they couldn't keep because they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And some scholars believe some of the flocks they were keeping watch over were those that were sacrificed in the temple. So they're out there taking care of all this, and they're not highly esteemed by the Jewish elite of the day, by Jews of the day, because they're, in fact, some, they were viewed lower than lepers in Jesus' day. These are not highly esteemed guys from man's perspective at all. They were working the night shift, the graveyard shift. This is not glorious work at all. They're out there at night keeping watch over their flock by night. And apparently to these lowly shepherds, the angel gives the highest theology. Isn't that amazing? That that God seems to desire to give the highest theology to shepherds and fishermen and uneducated men. Lowly people. In other words, God's highest theology is not only for the greatest of these, it's for the least of these. (laughs) It's not only for the rich but the poor. Not only the young but the old. Not only the Jew but the Gentile. Think about that. Wow. Not only for iPhone users but Android users. It's for all of us. Right? For all of us. This highest theology. And I'm going to tell you something. Verse 11 is pregnant with theology. It's loaded. And this is a message not given to the high priest, not given to the scribes, not given to the scholars, given to ordinary people that God will do extraordinary things through. Isn't that the beauty of this? The gospel that this word comes to these shepherds. And look how it reveals that. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. It doesn't say in verse 9, and the angel of the Lord, these shepherds are doing their thing out here. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the high priest. In Jerusalem, that's not, what, that's not how it reads. It doesn't read the shepherds are doing their thing, but the angel of the Lord appeared to the rabbis. That's not what it reads. Shepherds are doing their thing. The angel of the Lord appears to them. The shepherds are doing what they do, all they know to do. You have come here today, and you're doing what you do, just doing life, working hard, being, trying to be the best godly mom or dad you can be, best godly husband or wife you can be. I mean, you just, you're just doing what you do. You do you, right? That's what you're doing. And then this gospel message interrupts your life. Here comes the angel of the Lord. He appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it shook them. I mean, they are shook. Because they're not scared of the dark. I'm going to tell you something. These guys aren't scared of the dark. 
They're in the dark all the time. And yet here comes this light that runs the darkness away. And they're shaking in their, shan- they're, they're shaking in their sandals. They are shook. And this light appears. And the Bible says they're filled with fear. They're terrified. Terrified of what they've seen. Not what they heard. Somebody say heard. They're not terrified by what they hear. They're terrified by what they see. And then the angel speaks. This angel of the Lord speaks and says, fear not. See, this is what the Word of God does. The Word of God produces joy, not fear. The Word of God produces joy, not fear. Some of you are here today, you're arrested by anxiety, you're burdened with all kind of burdens, you're crippled with all kind of cares, you're empty of encouragement, you're filled with fear, gripped with guilt, shackled with shame. But the Word of God is speaking to you today and saying, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Well, why am I not to fear? You don't understand. My world's collapsing. My marriage is on the brink of, of falling apart. I'm losing everything. I'm, why should I not fear? Well, here's why. Look at this. Fear not. For behold, listen up. <laughs> Check this out. I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Well, what is this good news? I mean, come on. What's, what's so good about this news, right? A Savior has been born. Okay, well, why is that good news? Because a Savior is just what you need. And a Savior is just what I need. And a Savior is just what this world needs is a Savior. See, when Jesus was born, this was not just another sovereign being born. The world had seen enough sovereigns. It wasn't just another soldier being born. The world had seen enough soldiers. It wasn't just another surgeon being born. Man, we've seen enough surgeons. A Savior has been born. (laughs) A Savior. Born, that's why it's spiritual, because it's a Savior being born unto you. And the fact that Jesus was born is important. Because for Him to be our Savior, to save us, He had to identify with us. How does He do that? In this flesh. He put on this same flesh that you and I are wearing, and He walked around. Yet He was without sin, sure, without sin. But He put on the same flesh. And He identified with us. So he can sympathize with us in every way. And he meets us where we are and he speaks our language and he identifies with us. So that he could go to the cross and die in your place and my place and satisfy God's wrath as a sacrifice for all sins that have ever been committed, ever will be committed, ever have been committed. And he was buried and raised on the third day. And because of this glorious glorious news it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and because of that look what happens there's great joy good news of great joy not 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 little joy mega joy is how the text reads mega joy not many joy but mega joy and 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 joy and joyful you see it in scripture 250 times rejoice is there 200 times So what is joy? Joy is the inward, somebody say inward, 
inward attitude of happiness, which is not based on what happens. Inward attitude of happiness, not based on what happens. Inward attitude of happiness, not based on what happens. The best picture of this we see is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross for the inward attitude of happiness inside of him. He endured what was not happy. The cross was not a happy time. But he endured because of the joy. What was the joy? You keep reading in Hebrews 12. Here's the joy. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked past the cross and saw himself seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw people from every, every tribe and language and nation and, and people gathered around the throne of God in that was his joy. Inward attitude of happiness, not based on what happens. Joy. Good news of great joy. Well, who's this for? It'll be for all the people. Does that mean everybody in the world is going to be saved? No. Does it mean that there'll be people from every tribe and language and nation that'll be saved? Yes. Not everybody will be saved, but everybody can be saved. But not everybody will be saved. Oftentimes we think, man, are we here? We sing it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, is it? Not really, is it? For some people, it's the most loneliest time of the year. Most grief-stricken time of the year. Right? The, the most depressing time of the year. Disappointing time of the year. It's not a wonderful time of year for many of us. And so we look to different things. We look to Christmas gatherings and Christmas meals and Christmas gifts and try to find joy. Or we look around and try to find it at work or at school or at home and marriage. And we look for this happiness, this, this empty void in our life. And we try to fill it with all this stuff. But it never fills it. Never fills it. Because it's only found in Jesus. The Savior that's been born to you. This is good news of great joy for you and for me. And look, look how the text reads in verse 11. For unto you is born this day. Wow. This birth is different from all other births. This is not just a, a birth of another sovereign. Not just the birth of another shepherd. Not just the birth of another surgeon. This is the birth of our Savior. Well, that's different, isn't it, church? For unto you is born this day. You know, as, as I'm studying this, getting ready for this series, it's not lost on me where our nation is right now. I love America. I love being an American. I love being a follower of Christ in America. I love the land of the free and the home of the brave. But as I study this, it's not lost on me what's happening in our country today. I mean, think about it. What is going to be the demise of America? Will it be... Another virus pandemic? No. Will it be an economic collapse? No. Will it be the dissolution of the almighty dollar? No. What will be the demise of our nation? Will it be conservative administration? No. Will it be a liberal administration? No. What, what will be the demise of America? Will it be a vaccine or no vaccine or mask or no? No, 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 and no. Will it be open borders or closed borders? No and no. What will be the demise of our nation? It's one word. 
abortion. Abortion. It's not lost on me that at the time we were celebrating the greatest birth in the history of the world, the highest court in the land of the free and the home of the brave is arguing pro-life or pro-choice. That's not lost on me. Statistically, the most dangerous place to live in America today is in the womb. That's not lost on me. Praise God that the Messiah, it wasn't planned for Messiah to come uh, be born in America in the year 2021. Praise God for that. His, his percentage of abortion would have been mu- 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 much higher than what King Herod tried to do to him. I tell you, when, when, when I look around at what's going on, and you see all these media outlets, and, and they're on a platform like this one, and they got their whole set decorated for Christmas, and they're wearing their Christmas outfit, and they're arguing for, for abortion. While they're celebrating the greatest birth in the history of mankind, how foolish is that? Just foolishness. I'm so grateful this doesn't read for unto you uh, this day a Savior has been aborted by you, but a Savior's been born to you. Praise God for that. And it doesn't matter. Politically, it doesn't matter who's in office. I mean, how long has Roe versus Wade been in place? How many liberals have we had in office since that time? How many conservatives? It doesn't matter. Our whole nation needs to repent. And and there's hope. There's hope. Jesus is our hope. There's hope corporately for America. There's hope individually for Americans. There is. But it's in the person of Jesus. For unto you this day, America, for unto you this day, Americans, a Savior has been born to you, who is Christ the Lord. And look where he's born. Not in the city, not in a city in America, but in the city of David. Not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. He is born a Savior. Look at Luke 1, verse 46 and 47. Look over there in Luke chapter 1. You're not far from Luke 1. Just go to the previous chapter. Luke 1, verse 46 and 47. This is Mary's song of praise. And look at this. And Mary said, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. Somebody say, Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my who? God, my Savior. Mary proclaims that God is her Savior in Luke 1. Mary, that so many have tried to make a God out of, is praising God, her Savior. And then you go to Luke 2 and you look at verse number 11 and you see, oh, Jesus is also called Savior. So what does that tell? That tells us Jesus is God. He's 100% God and 100% man, all at the same time. He is our Savior. He is our hope. And not only is He Savior, look at the next term here, who is Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a term. It's It's a term that means Messiah, an anointed one. And the Jews knew that term. They would have immediately clicked with that term. They knew that term. They've been waiting for Messiah to come for thousands upon thousands of years. So they would know that term. Jesus, who is Christ. And look at this term, the Lord. Somebody say the Lord. Hey, our greatest fundamental confession as followers of Jesus is this. Jesus is Lord. That's it. That's our confession. He is Lord. And here we see it laid out for us. Jesus, our Savior, the Christ, who is the Lord. So here's the reality. Even if you were born... Or even if Jesus was born 
every year for 2,000 years. Even if he was born, you know, at Christmas time we celebrate the birth of Christ, but just think, even if Jesus was born every year for 2,000 years, born over and over and over again and again and again and again and again, if you are not born again, you are lost. You're without hope and you're without Christ and you're headed to a devil's hell if you are not born again. Jesus was born into this world so he could be born into your world. Jesus was born so you could be born again. He was born in the Holy Land so he could be born in your heart and in your life. Born so that you could be born again. This Savior who is Christ, who is the Lord. I love what John MacArthur said. I don't agree with everything John MacArthur says, but I like this statement. What role did you play in your physical birth? What role did you play in your physical birth? That's an absurdity. You played no role in your physical birth. It's equally insane to think you had something to do with your spiritual birth. End quote. You, you were born again, born spiritually. So how can we trust this word? How can we know this is truth? How can we know that? Well, there's a sign, right? Because <laughs> what the shepherds were thinking, you're thinking. And what you're thinking, the shepherds were thinking. How can I know this is true? I mean, you're telling me this, but how can I know it? Well, there's a sign. Well, what's the sign? Well, look, look at the text, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. Okay. You got my attention. I'm listening. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. Okay. Now jump down to verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let's go check this out. I mean, let's go see if what we're being told is true. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. And so they go, and what do they find? They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And I love the fact they went with haste. You know why? Because they're thinking, man, this sounds too good to be true, but i got to go check this out. Man, is this really true? Is this really what's happening? They go and they find a baby lying in a manger, just like they were told. Just as they had been told. You ever look at a baby... A newborn baby sleeping. You, you, ever, you ever watch a baby sleep and think to yourself, man, I wish I could rest like that. I miss that day. I wish I could sleep like that again. You ever do that? You know why we can't rest very well as adults? As we grow up and get older and sleep seems to escape us more and more and more and more. You know why we can't rest very well? Here's why. It's hard to rest when you think everything rests on you. It's hard to rest when you think you're the savior of your family or you're the savior of your marriage or you're the savior of your neighborhood or you're the savior of your friends or coworkers or classmates. It's hard to rest when all rests on you. And here we see the baby Jesus just resting in a manger and when Jesus got older we see him on the cushion laying on a cushion in, in the boat with a storm raging and the disciples panicking you gonna let us die out here hey Jesus wake up what's going on here you gonna let us die what's he doing he's sleeping why is it how can he do that because he knew that his father had everything under control he knew that God the father is sovereign over all things and he's resting and he speaks and says, so this I've spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be full. The spoken word. 
God's Word produces genuine joy. His Word produces that genuine joy. In Christ alone. Here's the second aspect of this joy. Uh, genuine joy number two. It produces genuine worshipers. Genuine worshipers. How many of you like Christmas carols? You got music playing in your house this time of year? Different Christmas songs. and Many of those speak of joy, don't they? You got songs like uh, Joy to the World, of course, which really is speaking more of the second coming, but speaking of Christ and the joy we have in Him. You have songs like, O Come All You Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant. Have songs like, Shepherds, why this jubilee? Shepherds, why are you so excited? Where's this joy coming from? Shepherds. Uh, we sing songs like, Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Right? Rejoice. Joy. We sing, Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. The, the joy of these carols. Many of them bring a lot of joy, don't they? And they speak of joy. One of them I have a little trouble understanding. Uh, you think of it like this. A young mommy named Mary, right? Pretty young mommy with a newborn baby. Exhausted, I'm sure. I'm sure the travel to Bethlehem was not easy getting there. And then when she got there, the time for the baby to come came. Jesus is born. I'm sure this, oh, I'm sure this young mother is just completely exhausted. She finally gets Jesus wrapped and resting and lying in a manger. And you know, mommies and daddies, it's not always easy to get the babies asleep, right? That's, that's a challenge, isn't it? And so she's exhausted gets that done and then and then here approaches this young man who thinks to himself I know what this young mommy needs she needs a drum solo <laughs> and the little drummer boy starts playing a drum solo I, I don't really understand that one too much now I know he was doing the gift he had to, for the king and the coming king and I'm sure Mary appreciated that, didn't she? <laughs> you know, the, the, the shepherds here, they experienced a change. And it wasn't just a change in their mood. It changed their life. A lot of things can change our mood, right? I mean, I know for me, my, my mood changes whenever I see these two words, inbox zero. That will change your mood. When you've got no emails in your inbox, that's a good, good day. Uh, when I was in junior high, middle school, junior high is what we called it, and I was having a bad day, and, and when I saw this being served at lunch, it changed my mood, bro. That rectangle pizza ain't nothing like that on this planet. That's still the best pizza ever to hit these lips. It's better than Chicago style and New York style, Detroit style, St. Louis style, Sicilian style, Greek style. It don't matter. That's the best pizza ever. It'll change your mood. It won't change your life. It'll change your mood. Right? There's a lot of things that change our mood, but the shepherds, they just, this wasn't a, a fleeting happiness that they had. This wasn't a, a one day a year and they were happy that day and then lost the happiness. that They were changed. It was genuine joy that changed their life. 
Not just their mood, but their life. And, and I, I want to show you how, how we know this. Uh, look at verse number 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. You know, I particularly like this as a pastor because I, I believe it lays out a, a, a good blueprint for us as we gather for corporate worship. And the blueprint is the gospel is proclaimed in verses 8 through 12. That is a, that is a proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is preached, it is proclaimed, they hear it, and then immediately there's a song of invitation. <laughs> the angels come. I love that. As a pastor, that's dear to my heart. We, we stand, we proclaim the word, then we invite people to receive this peace. And that's what this is. It's an invitation that on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's a song of invitation to anyone and everyone who hears and believes to have not only the peace of God, but peace with God. Now, we'll look at peace in another message, but that's, that's what this means. We say, well, who is it that, that with whom God is pleased? With whom is God pleased, right? That's a great question. Peace to those with whom he's It doesn't say peace on all the earth. This isn't a blanket peace of God for everybody. That's not how this reads. It is peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So who, who are those folks with whom God is pleased? Well, we know the voice of heaven said and spoke at Jesus' baptism and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right? We know that. He's pleased with Jesus who satisfied God's wrath on the cross, who lived a perfect life without sin, who never stepped out of the will of the Father ever, ever. So God is pleased with him. An extension of that, he is pleased with those of us who put our faith in Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But oh, with faith, it is possible to please him. And when we put our faith in him, he is pleased with us. So this is the invitation. And this will change you and you'll become a genuine worshiper. Not a go-through-the-motions worshiper. Not a southern cultural thing that we do on Sundays as we go to church because that's what we've always done. I tell you, COVID has really, really helped with that. Some of your casual Christians just aren't here anymore. COVID's, COVID's taking care of that. They were just going through the motions culturally. Some of them, not all of them, some of them aren't here because they just... Health-wise, they can't get here. I understand that. But some of them have been called out. I mean, God's just, he's, he's doing a work in our country and in our nation. And so this isn't just a going through the motions kind of thing. This is those that have been gripped with the gospel, and you're genuinely changed from the inside out. And you're like these shepherds. You begin to worship. And, and look how this unfolds for them. Look what happens in verse 20. Jump over to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. That... They returned. They did not stop being shepherds. They're still shepherds. But now they're glorifying and praising God. Now when they're taking that staff and beating off those predators, they're hitting those wolves on the top of the head for the glory of God Almighty, for the praise of God Almighty. When they hit those sheep and get them back in line because they're so dumb, they're doing it now for the glory of God Almighty. They're still shepherds. They're still shepherding. They're still working. They're still keeping watch over their flock by night. But now they're praising and glorifying God while they do it, as they do it. They've been changed. It's a genuine change. It's not just they come together once a year to sing with the angels and the heavenly host. They're changed every day. 
It's an everyday change. It's a genuine change that they're experiencing. They returned to, to what they do, but now they're glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. They were changed. Genuine worshipers return changed. Some of you need to leave here today changed. You need to go back home as a changed husband, a changed wife, a changed father, a changed mother, a changed friend, a changed neighbor, a changed co-worker, a changed classmate. The shepherds did not stay the same. They were changed. Genuine worshipers. And then last one, look at this third one, third aspect of genuine joy. Genuine joy produces genuine witnesses. Man, I love this. Verse 17, 18, 19. Genuine witnesses. Not just a, a, a again, not, not just a, a fake witness or a going through the motions witness, but genuine witness. Far too many of us sitting in here and worshiping online, we, we're known more for our whining about people rather than winning people. We're known more maybe for complaining rather than proclaiming. We're known more for our resenting and our sadness than we are for our rejoicing and our gladness. We ought to be the most rejoicing, glad people on planet Earth. We have this good news of great joy. And these shepherds, isn't it, isn't it fascinating that the shepherds who were not able to be witnesses in the highest, in, in the court of man, in the court of law, in the Jewish courts, they could not even be a witness. And yet the angels appeared to them and they become the first witnesses of Jesus' birth. Isn't that amazing? Genuine witnesses. So let me give you this formula, this recipe, this blueprint, this pattern that we need to repeat over and over and over again as we go out from this place today. Look at this. We see it, verse 17, 18, 19. Really, three steps. This isn't on your outline. You might want to jot it down somewhere. The first thing we see here is the shepherds, when they're changed, genuine witnesses, they begin to teach the truth. They begin to teach the truth. They begin to teach what they have been told, what they've seen and what they've heard. They just teach it. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know enough of Scripture to teach it. I don't know enough of the gospel to share it. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, you know enough of it to share it. You do. It's your story. Or God's story intertwined with your story and how he's changed you. That's what the shepherds do. They just go and tell what they've seen and what they've heard and what's happening. They're teaching the truth. Here's a second step in this genuine witness formula. Treasure the truth. I love what Mary does in verse 19. Do you see what Mary's doing? She treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. We don't do a very good job of that. In fact, we don't do that really at all. America, we're too busy to do that. As Americans, we don't take the time to do that. We just do, and I'm speaking for myself, we just do a very poor job of just being still and knowing that God is God and treasuring that truth. I'm trying something more and more, and that's this idea of solitude, just sitting, maybe read a verse of Scripture, and then just sitting there and just waiting to hear from the Holy Spirit. Just, just quiet, just sitting. A friend of mine, Robbie Gallaty, he's pastoring in Long Hollow in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee. He is, they're experiencing a revival at his church. It's a genuine revival, and, and it all started when about a year or so ago, maybe 18 months ago now, he started sitting on his porch two hours a day and just doing nothing, just sitting there. 
and listening to the Lord. Just maybe read a scripture and you just sit. And God began to do something in his heart and his family and his church. Treasuring the truth. We can learn a lot from Mary right here. Mary treasured up these things. Treasure that truth, man. Part of being a witness is treasuring what we're witnessing. Man, how much do you treasure this good news of great joy? And thirdly, here's the last one. Tell your testimony. That's what the shepherds do. They return, glorify and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, they made known what God had made known to them. They're telling their testimony. Let me tell you what happened, man. We're out here in the dark and this light comes and we're scared to death and this angel speaks and, 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 and tells us about this Savior that's being born in the city of David and we go there and yes, there he is lying in a manger and we're filled with joy. And they just make that known. Even today, we're making known their testimony. It's written down for us to make it known. One thing that grabbed my heart, if you look at verse 11, for unto you is born this day. Somebody say this day. This day equals the first coming of Christ, this day. This day means his first coming. On this day, uh, Jesus was born on this day. He appeared on this day, his first coming. Then you go to Matthew 25 and you read about that day, the day of the Lord, the day that's coming, the day of judgment, that day. And that day equals the second coming of Christ. So this day is the first coming. That day is the second coming. Today we're living in the middle, so what are you going to do about that today? We're living in the middle of this day and that day, and what are we going to do about that today? So let me ask you two questions, or maybe a question and a statement. Can you, can you rejoice that your name's written in heaven? You know, Jesus said that to his disciples. He said, guys, don't rejoice that the spirits obey you, that, they do what they t- that, that they're doing what you tell them to do. Don't, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in your ministry. Don't rejoice in what's happening here on the earth. Don't rejoice in all this. You rejoice that your name is written in heaven. When's the last time you rejoiced about that? Have you ever rejoiced? Can you rejoice that your name's written in heaven? Is it written there? It's not just there automatically. For all those who trust and believe in Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So have you trusted him as your personal Savior? If so, you can rejoice that your name's written in heaven. If not, today you can trust him and have your name written in heaven. Jesus says rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Is that you or is that not you? I don't know the answer to that. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you today. I'm praying that he will. And I know that he will. So your name can be written in heaven and you can rejoice. And you can be filled with this genuine joy. Now, some of us are believers. Some of us have our names written in heaven. Some of us can rejoice about that. And you need to know that if you're a follower of Jesus and you put your faith in him, you cannot, somebody say not, You cannot lose your salvation. Amen, church? You cannot lose it. However, you can live a long time without the joy of your salvation. You can live a long time with that joy being stolen and not living in the joy of the Lord's salvation. And And the joy is not stolen only when you sin. It's certainly when we sin, like David and Bathsheba, certainly that can steal our joy. But other things will steal your joy. Maybe you've quit doing your quiet time. You don't spend time with the Lord any time. 
that can steal your joy. Or maybe you're wounded. Maybe physically, emotionally, relationally, somehow you're wounded. That can steal your joy. With a host of other things, it can steal your joy. So the question is, has your joy been stolen? Are you living right now as a believer? You know you're saved. Man, it's been a long time since you had the joy of the Lord's salvation. It's been a long time. Well, today, God can restore that joy. Amen? The Holy Spirit can restore the joy of His salvation. Uh, Maybe for some of you, that's the invitation today. Remember, this genuine joy, it's not seasonal. It's, it's, It's not available one day of the year on 1225. It's available... Uh, 24-7, 365. It's genuine. It lasts. Genuine joy is, is available. And it's your best bet on any given day. Not just on Sundays. But every day. It's, it's, it's ongoing every day. Genuine joy is not just what's going on on Sundays. But it's ongoing every day. Genuine joy. It's from the one who died but is alive forevermore. It's not from the one who is alive but will be dead forevermore. That's the enemy. It's not where our joy comes from. Genuine joy is forevermore, not just for a moment. Genuine joy is, is, is internal and eternal all at the same time. It is the holy Christ child, not just a holly jolly Christmas. Genuine joy is longing to meet Christ in the air. Not just logging on or dropping by for Christmas on air. But it lasts forever. It's spiritual. Genuine joy is not an, it's not an isolated event of a baby being born in Bethlehem. It's much more than that. It's, a, it's the incarnational event of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That's genuine joy. That Christ is with us. That's the whole message. He's, he's come down to us. We don't have to climb up to Him. He's come down to us. So if you've not experienced that joy, today you can. Genuine joy is pointing people to the Christ at Christmas and not just pointing them to church at Christmas. It's waiting for God's sheep day and night. It's just not for the shepherds watching over their flocks by night. It's for you. Genuine joy is not just for the whole universe. It's for you. Jesus came for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you.